So I met Paul a few years ago, at a time when he and his wife were seeking help for their two daughters, who were, are differently abled. That alone can be a very daunting journey, fraught with shadows of anxiety about navigating everyday life, as well as dreams for the future of his children. Not long after we met, though, Paul discovered that his wife had a recurrence of cancer, a cancer that would eventually notch a mark in the wind column, leaving him a single dad of two. Our little group that was around Paul was crushed as the shadow of grief reached across our hearts. We wanted to be there to support Paul. We wanted to support the girls at a time such as this. But Paul withdrew, unable to accept our offers in those first weeks and months after his wife's death. I recently reconnected with him, and we spoke about the power of that time, the power of the shadows in his life at that time. He felt alone, he told me, alone and overwhelmed, and didn't know how to accept the offers that were there. He didn't know how to ask for the care that he needed. The cards and notes that he received provided light in the deepest shadows. And in time, that light helped him to see a new way of life emerging. That light helped him to experience a new love that was forming in his heart. He got married yesterday, confident that God's love continues to surround him, confident that God's love will see him through the shadows and the valleys, as well as over the mountaintops that life provides. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, echoed from the shadows into Paul's heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Called him out of the deep, dark night of the soul into the light that surrounded him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How many times would you guess those words have been spoken here over the years? especially at dark moments when people needed all the faith they could muster? How many times have we spoken these words ourselves in our own dark moments in life? Whoever wrote it had walked through the valley of the shadow the way, one way or another, you and I have walked there too. But at the center of the psalm, the author suddenly stops speaking about God as he, because you don't speak about someone that way when they're right in front of you. Do you feel it? Suddenly, the author is talking to God instead of about God. The author speaks to God as you, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That you is the center of our faith. That is where faith comes from. The belief that we know God. That God stands right in front of us and leads us into places of comfort when necessary. The belief that God doesn't make cancer happen to us. The belief that God doesn't make us lose our jobs or live with chronic conditions or chronic pain. It's a belief that when those things happen, that we don't have to be afraid because God is with us, protecting us, guiding us, comforting us with a rod and a staff, tools of a shepherd who protects the sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not spent much time around sheep. I haven't spent that much time around shepherds. So the metaphor works for me, but I really have to work at it to get it. It's not one of those that lives in my heart and I can just feel these emotions and feel connected in that way. Jim Richardson, one of my former pastors, also didn't fully appreciate this metaphor until he traveled with my home congregation to Israel for a pilgrimage experience. He tells the story that one day their bus stopped on the side of the road where a shepherd was close by with his sheep. Jim said, I was struck by the appearance of the shepherd. He looked to be so old, but I guessed he wasn't by the way he moved. He was dressed in what I assumed to be his entire wardrobe. In other words, he had on several layers of clothes, much like a homeless person might. His deeply wrinkled skin stood out starkly because the wrinkle seemed to be embedded with dirt. His eyes were red and puffy, either from desert conditions or from some eye disease. But what most impressed Jim was that when the shepherd walked away from the bus, his 20 or so sheep followed him immediately. Jim did not hear the shepherd speak or whistle at the sheep, just saw him turn and walk away from the looky-loos on the bus, and the sheep simply followed, followed after him with no hesitation because they knew him. Like the shepherd on the roadside that day, the ancient shepherd of Palestine had to be both accessible and soft and tough as nails. He worked often in areas of sparse growth, so he had to make sure that the sheep of his flock all were grazing appropriately, that they had what they needed. But on the flip side, he worked in dangerous areas with wild animals that would come after his flock, with sheep stealers who would come and try to take what was his. So above all, he had to protect the flock, especially at night, when they would be rounded up into a small pen. 
The shepherd would give a whistle or a call, and they would all come running to him. They would know his voice. And the shepherd would count off, naming each sheep as they went into the pen at night. And then the shepherd would stand guard and make sure that they were safe. At a deep level, Jesus understood this shepherd image. He lived it. It resonated in his heart, and he knew it resonated in the hearts of the people who heard him, especially as he stood at the front, in front of his disciples, especially as he stood in front of crowds eager to hear his words and receive his healing, especially as he stood in front of the Pharisees who wanted nothing more than to arrest him. In front of these people, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what makes the shepherd good, according to John. His willingness to get involved, to risk his life for the life of his flock. He gathers us in. He calls us by name. He calls us to follow him to safety. Jesus does what is necessary to care for the sheep of his flock, even to the point of throwing himself in front of the rods and staffs this world hurled at him, marching lovingly to the cross to protect us from the consequences of our own stubbornness and pride. But the cross and the tomb could not break the power of Christ's love. With his rod and his staff, Christ beats back the powers of death to march out of the darkness of that tomb into the light of God's love. But as Christ left that tomb behind, a funny thing happened to those disciples who huddled together in that upper room with fear in their voices and tremors in their legs. The ones who used to be Christ's sheep, who missed the point of every sermon, who looked around and said, Who? Me? Do that? The very ones who deserted and denied him, these are the ones who became the shepherds of Christ's field. In the power of Christ's resurrection, these are the ones who are sent to care for God's people, who were called to bind up their wounds and feed their hungers, to listen to their pains and cast out their fears, to pray with them and for them and to quench their thirst. Those disciples who huddled like sheep behind locked doors encountered the risen Christ and strode out into the world to care for the many different sheep of his pasture in the many different pastures of Christ's world. In the same way, the resurrected Christ greets us by name with his rod and his staff, and calls us out into the world to care for all so that there will be one flock with one shepherd. But for some reason, we feel that our fields are more complicated these days. I don't know if it's HIPAA. You know, that practice of hospitals that keeps everything private. Let me give you a hint. That doesn't apply to you. In our lives, we are warned away from getting involved in other people's problems. 
Parents teach their kids to mind their own business. I know I've said that more than on one occasion. And we also remind others that they should mind their own business. Did you know that Fairmount has a rule? We will not ignore a member's basic needs. We will care for one another. Our deacons fund helps us to do that. But we can't do as much as we could because members don't tell us. I don't know if it's your own private HIPAA rule, but members don't tell each other. They don't tell their pastors. They don't tell their church when they find themselves in the deep, dark valleys that life presents. To speak about our needs, to speak about the valleys, somehow breaks a cultural taboo by talking about that which must not be spoken. We've been taught somehow that we must keep our needs to ourselves, that we must hide our times of crisis in the shadows. But the author of the 23rd Psalm reminds us that we are not alone in the valleys of our lives, that we are not alone in the shadows. Christ, our good shepherd, is there with his rod and his staff to protect and comfort us. We Christ's shepherds are here with one another in the valleys, in the shadows, on the mountaintops. I remember sitting in a hospital room with a man from my congregation who was recovering from a severe stroke. He was telling me about all the other people from church who had visited him that week. Several congregants who brought their hymnals and sang with him. Another who brought his fiddle and played Appalachian tunes. Obviously not Fairmount. (laughs) Others who stopped by on lunch breaks or after work. All those church people, he mumbled to me, made it easier to believe in God. When they are with me, he said, I know God is with me. The life of a congregation reveals the life of God. Christ is present to us, writes Herbert McCabe, insofar as we are present to each other. The author of the 23rd Psalm understood that. I fear no evil, for you are with me. I fear no evil for you and you and you and you for all y'all are with me. This is a prayer for companionship, for us to be drawn together for our presence to be signs of God's presence and our love an incarnation of God's love. As we follow Christ, as we grow in faith, as we serve together, as we care for all, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. May it be so. Amen.